Almost 200 years ago, a pair of American explorers landed on the mosquito-filled coast of Belize. Their goal? Proved to European scientists that a great civilization had once thrived in the Americas. One that would rival even the might of Rome. For the next five years, John Lloyd Stevens and Frederick Catherwood would discover and document dozens of lost cities left behind by the Mayan civilization. They spent years chopping through the jungle brush and dodging the evergreen conflicts of Central America's civil wars. But even they couldn't find what today's guest helped locate deep in the heart of the Guatemalan jungle. Welcome back, everybody, to the Get Lost Podcast. I'm your host, travel writer Joe Sills. I'm a freelancer for Travel Channel, LonelyPlanetDiscovery.com, a couple of other publications, and I cannot think of a better guest to kick off Season 2 than the one we have today. He is an archaeologist, an adventurer, a TV producer, a man who has been to over 100 countries, spent the night in King Tut's tomb, and once climbed through the nuclear waste of Chernobyl. I'm speaking, of course, about Expedition Unknown host. Welcome to the show, Josh Gates. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for making time today to talk to us. Happy to be here. Uh, Holy crap, man. What a list of accomplishments you've got. How did you get into this crazy life? You know, by accident, which is how how, how most things happen, right? Um, As a kid, I was always into exploration, and I, I really credit that. You know, first and foremost to my dad, my, my father, who's who's retired now, was a commercial deep sea diver. So he had this really exciting and really dangerous job. Uh, commercial diving is still really dangerous. Back when he was doing it, it was insane. Uh, and my dad was always coming back from, you know, uh, parts unknown. He was always coming back from, you know, Africa and the North Sea and the Middle East. And so as a young kid, I just like every kid, I looked up to my dad and I, I just thought, wow, this this is such a cool thing. There's so many amazing things out there. So I had this real sense that there was a, a, a big wide world to explore. Also, I was a child of the 80s. And so I was obsessed with the Goonies. I was obsessed with <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom and, and, uh, and all the Indiana Jones stuff. I mean, I just grew up obsessed with that stuff. And so uh, I think, you know, I could probably quote Raiders and Goonies, you know, backwards and forwards. So, um, you know, I was obsessed with Indiana Jones. You sort of turned into a real life Indiana Jones. Well, I don't know about that, but I'll take the compliment. Um, you know, I, I went to school for archaeology, had a real interest also in writing and performing and 
and acting. And so after school, I, I came out to Los Angeles thinking that I was going to go back uh, to continue my education for archaeology, specifically underwater archaeology. Again, my dad being a diver, water is a, uh, you know, uh, the, the ocean runs deep in our family. So I thought I would become an underwater archaeologist. And it's funny, man, I, I was out in L.A. for a long time. Um, not really connecting the dots that, oh, I should combine my interest in writing and performing with an interest in archaeology and exploration. You're in LA so, and you can't put those dots together. <laughs> you know, you know, hindsight's 2020. I would, I would make a little bit of money waiting tables or, or, you know, something like that. I had a little photography business going and then I would take a trip. I'd make a little money. I take a trip. I make a little money. I take a trip. And then finally, you know, the idea of, well, wait a minute, why don't I start hosting? Why don't I start, you know, working in this space that I'm so passionate about? And mm -hmm. it took a long time to put that together. And I feel, uh, you know, look, I got a bunch of really lucky opportunities to do that. Um, there are plenty of people who maybe have put those dots together and it doesn't necessarily come together. I just, like everybody who does anything on TV, there's just a whole bunch of weird lucky breaks that have to happen. And I've been really fortunate to, to have this platform to go around the world and to tell these amazing stories um, and to bring those stories back for our viewers. So I feel really fortunate about the whole thing. Doing a great job. Uh, listeners, you're going to know Josh uh, mostly from Expedition Unknown. It's his uh, show on Discovery Channel. I think it used to be on Travel Channel and they moved it. Um, and he's also, I guess, what, you five seasons, four or five seasons in? Yeah, uh, more than that, actually. We are... Uh, we're six seasons into the show. We're about to air the, the back half of our sixth season of Expedition Unknown. And you're right. It did start out at travel. We're now on Discovery. Uh, we come back uh, next Wednesday, February 5th at 8 p.m. on Discovery. And, uh, and yeah, it's, 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 it's really some of our best episodes, I hope, uh, yet are, are coming up starting next week. Yeah, I got to look at that press release. And uh, before, we, before we let you go, we're going to let you break down that first episode because I think it looks super duper cool. And it's weirdly in a place that the Sold Outside blog has been to. So uh, that's pretty crazy. But today we want to talk to you about a place that's a little bit more off the grid than northern France. Uh, today we want to talk about Guatemala. So if you're in America right now, I want you to take a step back and think about a map. Think about Atlantic on one side, the Pacific on the other, and then think about Mexico down south. Right below Mexico is a country called Guatemala. It's a place full of strange animals and uninhabited jungles. Josh is going to take you there right now. Yeah, this is, you know, look, you talk about Indiana Jones. Uh, this is a place that really feels like it could be in an Indiana Jones story. Uh, there's a site down in northern Guatemala at the very top of the country, just below the border of Mexico. Uh, there's a place called El Mirador. And El Mirador is a pre-classic Maya city. So the Maya, not to kind of dive into a, a, a history lesson here, but, you know, the Maya were really like the dominant civilization of the Western Hemisphere for like a thousand years. Right. And... The Maya um, civilization is often broken down into two parts, the, the, the classic period and the pre-classic period. So the classic period is when all the big cities that people know about today were built, Tikal and Chichen Itza and places like that. And the pre-classic period, though, is this big thousand-year or 2,000-year stretch that, that happened before that. And we don't know a lot about this pre-classic period. What we do know, it stretches from like 2,000 B.C., to like 250 BC. Why don't and we know in, anything about it? Because in 250 BC, the whole thing crashes and burns. It all falls apart. All the cities fall into ruin. 
it's complete chaos, it's the apocalypse, and the Maya have to effectively reboot and start over. Like, here's how much we don't know about it. Um, archaeologists can read like 95% of Maya glyphs from the classic period, right? We've cracked the language, we can read it. From the pre-classic period, they can read less than 5% of the language. So, so it's a complete reset of their whole civilization. They totally lost everything. They lost everything. They lost their language. They lost all of that memory kind of went away. So you have to figure it was incredibly dramatic. So for a long time, people thought that this pre-classic period was kind of the primitive period. You know, that like, okay, this is when they were kind of getting their stuff together. It didn't really work out. The whole thing fell apart. They started over and then boom, they come back with a vengeance. But really what, what historians are learning now is that this pre-classic period was actually really advanced. And one of... And, and, and this whole pre-classic period is really centered in this northern part of Guatemala. There's a huge basin there, um, and it's actually a big preserve now. It's called the Mayan Biosphere Preserve. And this is a place that has kind of amazingly been largely roped off to the outside world, um, which is in danger a little bit as, as farming and communities and, um, and, and other things start to encroach on the edges of it. But it's this huge wilderness preserve in northern uh, Guatemala. And inside this preserve, there are like 500 square miles of pyramids and cities and structures and temples and dwellings. And, you know, I mean, it's this huge, uh, it's just this huge area that is um, ruined, this, this whole ruined civilization. And so we went there to do a show uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and it's a place that fascinated me I'd never been there. I'd heard about it for a long time. One of the things that really fascinated me about it is that it is also home to what might be the largest pyramid on Earth. The largest pyramid. Yeah. So bigger than the Great Pyramid of Giza. That's right. So not taller than the Great Pyramid of Giza, but much broader at its base. So by volume, it may be the largest pyramid on the planet. It's known as Ladanta. And it's a pyramid that um, was built by the pre-classic Maya in this city called El Mirador. So isn't it amazing that right here in the Americas, we have what might be the largest pyramid on Earth, and pretty much nobody knows about it. I mean, you talk to people, they don't know anything about, um, about El Mirador. So we went out there, and it's a hard place to get to. You know, you, you have to fly down to Guatemala City, then you have to catch another flight to a small town called Flores, uh, which was actually one of the last holdout cities for the Maya. Um, and then... You have to either undertake a really grueling hike, which some parts of the year you can't even do because it's too swampy and flooded, or you can get a helicopter to take you from Flores to the main archaeological site. Okay. So with a camera crew, that's basically the only way to do this. You so, have to get a helicopter then for you. Yeah. I mean, I've got, you know, eight or nine people, hundreds of pounds of equipment, you know, you have to feed everybody and keep them going out there. So they use helicopters a lot to get back and forth. So... We went out there by helicopter. You take off from Flores and you go out over this jungle and you leave Flores behind. And pretty soon, just like this endless carpet of green is going underneath the helicopter, mile after mile after mile. And the only thing you can think of is if we were to go down out here, you know, where where would you even go? What, what direction would you even walk in? I mean, there is nothing out there. It's just jungle. And this jungle, by the way, is filled with snakes and spiders uh, and swamps. I mean, a lot of it is swampland. And it has the largest, densest population of jaguars left in the world. This Excellent. is like Pandora. Yeah, this is like Pandora down there, right? I mean, this is like, 
you're 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 not coming back from down. So, so that explains why these temples have been like largely forgotten about or lost. That's right. And the the only reason people even knew they were there is that uh, in the 1920s. Uh, an airplane was flying, uh, very early years of aviation, an airplane was flying and saw what the pilot thought was a volcano poking out of the top of the jungle out there. And it turned out to be the peak of this pyramid known as Ladanta. And, uh, of course, there are no volcanoes in that region, so pretty soon they said, you know, let's 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 go swing around that thing a few more times. And they circled around it in, in aircraft, and they could see that it was the top of a structure. Nobody trekked out to it until, like, the 1960s. So this gives you an idea of, of how remote and difficult this place is. Um, and we flew out there, and when you get out to the site, the first thing you do see are a few of these pyramid peaks. And basically all you see is there's this kind of flat top of the tree canopy, and then you just see these bumps. You just see these, like, like the trees look like they're a little higher. And those are the tops of pyramids. And you can see right in the center of El Mirador, you can see a few of them. Ladanta, the really huge one, and another massive one that's almost the size of, of Ladanta called El Tigre. And you can see the tops of these pyramids just poking up out of the jungle. So it's almost and, like uh, if you're thinking 80s, like Star Wars, on the first one where they sort of have that base in the jungle and these old ruins, like that type of look. I mean, that, that's actually a great example because that was filmed at Tikal. That was filmed only, I don't know, less than 100 miles away at the huge Maya city of Tikal. That's where Lucas went and filmed that scene. That, that's exactly what it looks like. I had no idea they filmed uh, that there. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tikal is, um, boy, I'm going to show my nerd stripes here. I think it's Yavin 4. Yeah. Yavin something. It's, it's Yavin it's the, 4. Yeah. Yavin 4. There we go. Okay. So I showed my, I've showed my nerd colors now. Um, so uh, anyway, when you, you go out and you see the tops of these pyramids and you just it's mind melting you know you just you can't believe this is there and then right in the middle of all this foliage there's this one patch of grass where they've basically hacked away enough trees to create a landing pad for a helicopter and it's really tight i mean there's not a lot of room to get down in this thing you can just see the jungle it takes so much effort to just keep the jungle at bay this isn't like a huge football field of a landing area it's just a little clearing big enough for the helicopter to set down in and the minute you come down below that tree line and, and, and you land, you realize, man, I am way, way off the grid. I mean, this is, you know, this is like, you're not walking out from here. It's, you know? it's, it's an oh shit moment. <laughs> totally. I mean, you know, and, and, and you land and you get out and you pull your gear into the helicopter and the helicopter leaves. Oh, God. It just goes yeah. back to Florida. Because there's no real shelter for the helicopter out there. The weather is pretty unpredictable day to day. And so you just get left there, you know. And and it was, you know, the first time we went there, it was just the most thrilling feeling to watch this helicopter leave and to just be like, okay, I am now on the edge of some huge ruined temple complex, some huge city, and I don't have a way out of here. And you go down into the jungle, there's a little trail, and it takes you to this camp where these archaeologists are living and working. And the camp is is really impressive. They've, they've built some kind of like simple bungalows down there. There's a lot of tents. There's a kind of mess hall. Um, there's some labs for their work. You know, it's a little teeny city that they've built in the middle of this ancient city. Very um, simple stuff, but enough to give you some shelter when the rains come in. And the whole site is... is um, you know, presided over by uh, this guy, Dr. Richard Hansen, who's been out there excavating for like 37 years 
Uh, this guy has devoted his uh, his life and his career to, to studying this place. Holy crap! What's he looking for out there? That's four decades, well, pretty much. I mean, it's um, it's a it's look. There's enough work to be done out there for generations of archaeologists. I mean, the the main site. So so here's how you have to. I mean, it's really hard to get your brain around this. But the whole basin, this huge basin in northern Guatemala, um, contains dozens and dozens of cities. Within that basin, there is El Mirador. And El Mirador, which is where we, which is probably the main city, is roughly the size of Los Angeles. Holy I mean, it's that smokes. big. So they've probably excavated in those 37 years, you know, 3% of it, 4% of it. I mean, you know, this is like lifetimes and lifetimes of work. And when you walk around in the jungle there, you see these huge hills. You know, these big dirt hills with trees growing up out of them. Not all of them pierce the top of the canopy, but you see these hills and you say, what's that? And they go, well, that's a pyramid. Well, what's that hill? That's a pyramid. What's that? That's a temple. And they've they've done, you know, sort of tactical um, trenches down into some of them. But the amount of effort it takes to clear one of these and then preserve it against the elements is enough that they don't just uncover everything that they see. But this is like a place like Tikal, which has been totally the whole central part of Tikal's all been excavated. It's like that, except it's fully Indiana Jones out, and it's not all been revealed. It's a gold mine for archaeologists. Oh, big time! And we went there uh, not just to see the site, but following this really compelling mystery that's part of Dr. Hansen's work, which is um, the later Maya when they when they came back with a vengeance. One of the things that they did is they referenced this older pre-classic period. Mm -hmm. And there are a series of these things called dynastic uh, vases, which are these, these painted pots that basically list the name of previous rulers. This is like our hall of presidents right here. Here's who president one was president George Washington, right? It's, it's basically a list of previous rulers. And one of the things that they see on these pots are a bunch of really powerful rulers from this pre-classic period out here at El Mirador. And they're known as the Snake Kings. And there's 19 of them. These 19 really powerful war, uh, sort of, you know, warrior chieftain leaders of this pre-classic period. Okay. And nobody has ever found any of their burials. So Dr. Hansen and his team, among all of the many other things they're doing out there, have this longstanding mystery, which is where are these Snake Kings? Where are these 19 incredibly charismatic, powerful people who ruled this place and built this city the size of L.A., where are they buried? Because they can't find any of their tombs. And they're thinking so, if they find the tomb to the king, they're going to crack a lot of mysteries. For sure. Because, you know, this is a big question about these ancient civilizations. How do they get started? You know, somebody has to emerge who says, I want us all to get together and build this crazy shit, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, we're going to use a ton of energy, a ton of resources to build these things. Why? Well, because it'll help us commune with the gods or because I have some connection to, you know, the other side. So these are people that have to have immense charisma. They have to have um, the ability to lead and, 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 you know, marshal all of these people out in the jungle into these huge building projects. These are the, these are the Caesars. These are the, you know, Genghis Khans. These are the... Um, you know, these are the big movers and shakers, as Richard Hansen likes to say, of the ancient world. And Who in, are they? And in a place where it's not like you just look next door and like, look at that city. Let's build that. That already exists. Yeah. 
you have to in your in somebody's mind create all this stuff. Totally, totally, and and in, including by the way, again, the largest pyramid in the world. So the, finding their tombs would just give the site an enormous amount of context to understand how it started and who the people were that were that were ruling it. Now, in in classic Maya sites, places like Tikal, Chichen Itza burials of of rulers are always in the same place the maya were big in in their engineering into repetitive themes right like the temples are all kind of i mean it's not totally true there's 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 lots of variation um across the maya world but you know they they would make templates of things and then keep making those things and typically royal burials are right in front of the pyramids in the center line axis so if you go to the bottom of the stairs at the main pyramid at the site you dig a hole there you're going to find the main guy, which makes sense, right? That's kind of how we would do things yeah. today. Like huge, massive, important, you know, religious structure. Boom. Your guy's going to go right in the front of it, you know? And, and it's a template um, that you can follow at most uh, most Maya sites and boom, there it is. But not at right. El Mirador. Not in any of the pre-classic sites. So if you dig a trench right in front of those pyramids, there's nothing there. So for 37 years, Dr. Hansen and his team have been really, you know um, – frustrated by this problem and probably if they find one of these guys they'll find all of them because there's probably a pattern of where they're all buried and they just simply don't know what the pattern is and so as they excavate various buildings and they try to understand the architecture of the site this is kind of not a side mission i mean it's an important mission for them but it doesn't guide their entire thing but they want to understand these rulers they want to understand who these people were that that built this place so you're out there and you land in this helicopter with your crew in this land of snakes and jaguars and, and temples and you know, <coughs> literally a crazy archaeologist guy who's been there for 40 years, just obsessed yeah. with, sort of like Indiana Jones' dad. Like, he just can't, right, he's, right. he's fixated, like Sean Connery style. That's right. And then, then what happens? Well, you know, we had uh, the privilege of, of exploring the site with Dr. Hansen. We were able to open um, a, a burial, a, a later period burial there, uh, not of a, a member of royalty, but of someone who had been buried at the site. So a huge thrill to be able to actually look down under these capstones in this small temple and see uh, see a burial of, of, uh, of a citizen from the city. So, you know, and actual to see remains, to see a skull, to see this ceremonial bowl that they place over the skulls. Um, it, it's really was just mind blowing, but a big part of the mission was to understand, um, when we were there, how big El Mirador and, and the surrounding areas really are. And so one of the things that happened when we were there is we did uh, LIDAR scan. So LIDAR for folks who don't know is this like magical technology. Um, it's a laser mapping technology. You strap this device to an airplane or to a helicopter skid and it shoots down billions with a B, billions of laser points, uh, and then those reflect back up. And it's able to, I mean, it, it sounds like it shouldn't work, but it does. It can see through foliage. It can find all the little spaces in between leaves and, and branches, and it can map a jungle floor by effectively just stripping away digitally all the foliage. So it's a like it's a miracle technology. It can do what those guys in the probably a biplane or something in the 20s weren't able to do, which is see past the trees. Totally. You can fly over the canopy and then you can literally push a button and it will strip away the foliage and you can see everything down to the ground. How exciting is that like in real time? It's insane. So we worked with a, a LIDAR group. We mounted a unit to a helicopter and we flew 
um, outside of El Mirador, there were areas that Richard really wanted to scan. He had seen, there, there are these roads all over El Mirador. They call them causeways. They're basically raised roads. There's a lot of flooding out there. And when the pre-classic Maya were living there, they had these raised causeways that connected all the temples. And these causeways go out into the jungle because they go to other cities within the basin. These, these are the highways of this ancient world. And there were some causeways and some structures that he said, you know, we don't really know what's past this point. We want to do a LIDAR scan to understand more of the basin. So we spent a, a couple nauseating hours flying around in circles over the jungles uh, trying to map uh, you know, parts of this basin that hadn't been looked at before, came back, put all the data in a computer, and sat down in one of these bungalows at the site and started stripping away the foliage. And lo and behold, just like with the push of a button, we saw a couple of extraordinary things. The first thing we saw are roads that had never been seen before leading off kind of to the northwest, almost like up into Mexico, that Richard and his team had never seen before. Now, nobody builds roads to nowhere, right? So right. this is a road that's going somewhere. It's going to a city, and no one knows where it goes. Another lost city. Another lost city, for sure. So that is still like a question mark. Like, where does that causeway go? We don't know. Then the other big thing that we saw is way out in the jungle, miles and miles from the site, a huge temple complex that had never been seen before. You're kidding. A pyramid, uh, platforms multiple pyramids. I mean, a whole temple complex that no one knew existed. And so this was for me a, a, a total, you know, career thrill the, the, to, to be on hand and to play a role in finding a lost city, a lost temple. I mean, it's just like something out of a movie. So that's a we, legit scientific achievement. Sure. I mean, I mean it's you way know, beyond yeah, like TV show you know. making. It's like real deal archaeological <laughs> science. I mean, for sure. But again, I'm I'm there as enthusiastic uh, participant. You know, this is really guys like you know. I, I always say, you know, guys like Richard uh, Hansen and and the and the scientists that we work with. These are the people who've devoted their lives to these things. I get to come in and just have this unbelievable thrill of kind of jumping on board midstream with them. But yeah, to 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 be there, to be a part of those scans, to see that was absolutely. I mean, it was just insane. And so then we bushwhacked out to this site, really hard to do, having to make a trail, machetes, donkeys, really, really slow going mm -hmm. uh, in some pretty nasty heat to try to trek all the way out to this site using, you know, GPS. And there at the end of this long, long trail that we, that we bushwhacked out there is all of these huge overgrown mounds and temples and pyramids and platforms all just sitting there that nobody has seen in, you know, 2,000 years. And just at, insane. At that point, you might as well be like Stevens in, in Catherwood. Like. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those moments where, you know, people say to me all the time, this is like a, 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 one of the reasons I love making the show, is that we live in this totally digital age now. And people say to me, especially young people, they go, is there really stuff out there to find? Are there really discoveries to be made? And I can remember just pointing a machete at this huge pyramid-shaped hill and saying, that is a temple that no one has seen in 2,000 years. Who knows what's in it? Who knows what's carved and painted on the outside of it? It's all just sitting there. And up until this very moment, nobody knew it was there. And that's something I love sharing with people because 
I think a lot of us look at our phones and Google Maps and we kind of go, well, isn't it all mapped? Isn't it just all there now? And I think it's important that that we remember that it's not all there, that the unknown is still around us and it's it's really exciting. Dude, that gives me chills. Uh, I know you're on a tight schedule. So real quick, if somebody wants to go to El Mirador, it's not like a tourist destination like Tikal, but how might they get there? Well, first of all, you can go there. Um, there's no road out there uh, to, to drive there, but there's two ways to get there. Um, you, you, no, no matter what, you have to go to Flores, this northern town in Guatemala. You know, it's so funny. Even places like El Mirador that feel like they're a world away, you can fly from anywhere in the States down to Guat City, which is the capital of Guatemala, in a few hours. You know, I mean, you go down there, three, four hour flight, you're in Guatemala City. Yeah, you're and, still probably in like central time zone. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, you go from there and you catch a, a plane up to Flores. Flores is a beautiful little town to explore on its own little, little colonial town. And then there are organized tours. You can hike to uh, El Mirador. It's a uh, it's about a you know if it has to be dry, it has to be the right time of year. You can go online and find information about it. Um, but it's about a two day hike in uh, to to get there. Two long days to get in. Or you can charter the helicopters from Flores. Now, if you go down there with four or five people, that helicopter charter is not insanely expensive. Uh, what it will do is it will take you out there. You'll land. A guide will show you around the site. And you have to fly back to Flores the same day. If you hike out there, you can sleep overnight. You can't really do that very easily with the helicopters. So um, this is a place that people go, man, I would love to go out there. And I say, you can totally go out there. I mean, you can hike out there for a song. It's not that expensive. You just got to get to Flores and arrange the the hike and, and go out there. And, uh, and don't get eaten by jaguars. Don't get eaten by jaguars. I mean, there's great guides taking people out there. But the, the, the amazing payoff of it all is you can come face to face with what might be the largest pyramid on earth. And you can say to your friends, I've been to this place that, you know, I've met very few people that have been out there. So it's an astounding place to visit that is like chock full of real discovery. Uh, and it's a place that is possible to reach. Also, uh, Dr. Hansen runs a field season out there every year. There's a lot of volunteers out there working and excavating at the site. So you could certainly get a hold of um, there's information online about the Mirador Basin Project, which is what it's called. And there's probably opportunities to volunteer if you wanted to go out there and actually be a part of the science that's happening there. Uh, it's certainly a really worthwhile, amazing uh, thing to support. It's a fascinating place. Yeah. As uh, somebody who flunked out of college trying to be an Egyptologist, I think you talked <laughs> me into it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a great adventure. You know, uh, again, if you um, I mean, I, you know, if, if you've got four or five friends to go down there, even just to do the helicopter day in, day out, I mean, it's probably, I don't know, 100 bucks, a couple hundred bucks each maybe to charter the helicopter and you go out there and, and see it and come back and Christ, you could go down there and be back by Monday, you know, go down for the weekend and actually make it to El Mirador and come back. Uh, it's, it's, it is, a, you know, this is the amazing thing. There are parts of the world that are incredibly difficult to reach, but through technology, we, we can get to them. Um, or if you really want to do it hardcore, hike out there, take the, take a guide, take the mules um, and, and hike out there. And, and like immerse yourself in it. Uh, one one quick thing before we wrap up here. Let's talk a little bit about your new season of Expedition Unknown because that sounds absolutely amazing. And you've got a two-hour special coming up to launch the thing. Next Wednesday, February 5th, 8 p.m. on Discovery. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of amazing new expeditions uh, that are premiering. We're starting with this two-hour special on D-Day, Secrets of D-Day. Uh, we're going to be you know diving into 
you know, look, this is the like largest amphibious invasion in history. It's the pivotal invasion of, of modern history, um, uh, the the invasion of, of France by the Allies to to um, rip off the Nazis. This this is a an event that looms really large for everybody. We all know about D Day. This is an awesome show that digs into a lot of the work that's still being done there to understand this invasion, even 75 years later. So we're going to be working um, with divers off the coast to look at the wreckage of D-Day and the waters off the coast. You know, hundreds of ships went down off of those invasion beaches. And they're now using a, a sonar and, and photogrammetry to record these wrecks before the ocean totally consumes them. So it's an opportunity, first of all, to just see a side of D-Day that people have really probably not had a chance to see before. Yeah, I think- we're also going to... Go ahead. I think what's surprising to me is like we all know about Omaha Beach, especially as Americans and Point Du Hoc. And I had an opportunity to go over there uh, a year or two ago and explore it. But what I didn't know is outside of like the standard place where all the tourists go, you've actually got a, a lot of basically archaeological sites where there's just maybe a, a couple crazy old men in a in a cabin that's full of helmets and trinkets and whatever they can sell to try to fund their projects. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, you, you have to remember after the invasion was over, the, that whole region was just destroyed. And so uh, everything was kind of filled back in, turned back into fields and farmland and forgotten about in a lot of ways. And yes, there are there are brilliant memorials there and there's some incredibly moving preserved sites. Point to Hawk is, is one of them, uh, which they've done a really good job Um and, and the invasion beaches as well. But there are these sites that people don't really know about. To your point, there's, there's this place called Maisie Battery. Maisie Battery is about two miles inland from the invasion beaches. We tend to think of the invasion as, oh, there's all these Germans up there on the beachhead shooting down at these guys getting out of boats. Well, that's certainly true. But there was also artillery fire coming from inland. You know, part of Hitler's Atlantic Wall was to build these huge installations that were not right on the beach where destroyers could you know, um, use artillery fire to destroy them. Um, so Maisie Battery is this fascinating place, huge Nazi compound, which had big 150 millimeter German howitzers firing out at the beaches. And basically nobody knew it was there. This, this, this British guy named Gary Stern came to France a few decades ago and basically found an old map in an old uniform. It's like something out of a movie. He found an old map in an old wartime uniform that, that listed this region as an area of high resistance it was an old allied map. There was nothing there but fields. And he said there must be something buried here. And people thought he was nuts. And he started digging and digging and found a huge Nazi compound there. And in the show, we're going to be going to Maisie Battery, working with, again, LIDAR specialists to detect bunkers at Maisie Battery that have not been seen in 75 years since the invasion and actually digging up Nazi bunkers and revealing them for the first time uh, to the light of day. So really, really, you know, incredible stuff. How cool is that? Yeah, I knew about that place only because I got lost, like on my way to, I literally got lost on my way to Point Du Hoc. And there was just a flag and like a little, like a trailer and you can walk around and, and what were some trenches. I mean, there's not a whole lot there. So. Well, it, it's interesting. When were you there? 2017. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they just keep finding stuff and finding stuff. I mean, we were there uh, a few months ago and it's really extensive now. Um, and, and what's fascinating about Maisie Battery is, you know, a lot of the invasion has been cleaned up and, and sort of sanitized now and just returned to its natural state before the war, these, yeah. these fields. 
Maisie's one of the few places you can go over there where you can walk through miles of trenches and bunkers and gun emplacements, and you just get a much better sense in some ways of what this what this place looked like with these trenches and these buried bunkers. Yeah. So it's a really, really incredible show. I'm excited for folks to check it out. It is haunting as hell, and uh, people can catch that February 5th at 8 Eastern and Pacific on Discovery Channel. That's right. Cool. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, you are the perfect guest for the first episode of Season 2, and I hope to see you out there in the jungle one day. All the best. I'll be out there. Bring your bug spray. All right, buddy. See ya. The Get Lost Podcast is a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. Follow us on Apple News at Sold Outside or give the podcast a like on Instagram at Get Lost Podcast. Special thanks to Josh Gates. Make sure to give him a follow on IG at Gatesy Graham.